Last week, we, I started talking about this word here, soteria. Soteria is a Greek word. Um, it comes from the Greek language, and, and the word means Savior saves. Savior saves. So in biblical terms, this word soteria is really about the act of our Savior, right? Jesus, Jesus Christ. He is the one, Jesus, by going to that cross and through his resurrection, he's the one who made uh, provision for deliverance from sin, for restoration, restored relationship with the Father, for preservation, eternal life. He's the one who has brought the opportunity for salvation for humanity. And when it comes to salvation, God really wants us to know what his heart is on the matter. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy. He says, God desires everyone to be saved. That's the heart of God. God's desire is that everyone would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is the knowledge of the truth? The knowledge is the truth about what happened at Calvary, what, what happened through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. His heart is that everybody would come to the knowledge of that truth. It's not a fairy tale. It is the truth. And so God's desire is that we would come to a knowledge of that and that everyone would be saved, right? So that is the heart of God on this issue, on this matter of salvation. Now, if you missed last week, we spent some time looking at how our Creator made us. We looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God, right? Who is God? God is the undivided Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're made in their image and in their likeness, right? In their image and their likeness, we've been made. So I had this slide up here with the word image and the word likeness, and we looked at what, what the root of those words are, the uh, Hebrew words, and, uh, and, and, and what it means for us when we talk about being made in the image and the likeness of God. So when it comes to us having the image of God, that means that we're reflecting something of God, something that God has put in each and every one of us. We reflect the image of God, and nothing but nothing but nothing, absolutely nothing, can change that about us. Every one of us have been made in the image of God. Every single human being who's ever lived and whoever will live is an infinitely precious image bearer of God. Now, when it comes to likeness, well, we had we had to dig a little bit more because likeness, even though we have this, we have we're made in this likeness. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a completed transaction. It's not a done deal, right? When it comes to likeness, a whole lot depends on us acting on our faith because we have likeness ability. We were designed to be like God so that we can participate in this ongoing love relationship with Him. But we have a lot of say in how much of this activity is going to take place in our lives, don't we? We have a lot of say in how much of the goodness of God we're going to experience in our lives. We can open up our lives, surrender our lives, or we can choose not to. And so that's why I'm calling it likeness ability. We've got a lot of say in how much of the activity of God gets to take place in our lives. Am I going to come to a place of complete surrender to God in this journey, in this walk with Him? Am I truly going to come to a place where I say, God, my life, I want my life to be found in you. I, 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 I don't want to be distracted by the things of this world. I don't want to be distracted by the things going on around me. Lord, I want to do your will, and I want to be in you. I want to have complete surrender to you. I want to submit to your rule and reign, your will and way. 
So am I going to come to that place? Am I on the way to that place? Likeness ability. Am I on the way, on the journey towards likeness ability, right? Am I going to get to that place? Am I going to live my life engaging with God? Am I going to pick up those scriptures, the Bible, and read it and meditate on it and let it sink into my heart and my spirit? Am I going to get together with the community of God for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of being a salt and a light to the world around me? Or am I going to just go off and live my independent little life? Am I going to be part of the community of God? Am I going to dig deeper and understand the concepts around Christianity which the church has grappled with for centuries so that we can have a greater and, and, and more precious understanding of it? Will I allow the Holy Spirit to deepen this stuff within me? So am I going to engage with God? Is my life truly going to be found in Him? Likeness ability. God made you without you agreeing to it. Do you agree? Anybody negotiate with God around your existence? You just, it happened. God was in the plan, right? You, you, you were made uh, before your parents even began to think about you. God knew you were on your way, right? So, so you, you were made without you agreeing to it, but God is not going to save you without your consent, right? We cannot be saved without God, but God is not going to save us without our voluntary consent. So God has given us free will. And our will is an essential precondition when it comes to salvation. Because without it, if I'm not going to agree and say, God, I want to step into this. I want to understand your saving grace. I want it to be applicable to my life. If I don't take that first step, God's not going to, be, he's not going to really do anything. Our salvation results both from divine grace, but also from human freedom. I actually have to consent. I have to say, God, I want to walk with you. I'm going to commit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I want to become like you because you call me to be like you. Likeness ability. So being made in the likeness of God speaks to a process of change, of transformation, heart transformation, the deep stuff below the surface of our lives. Where often there's a lot of gunk and junk and God's saying, I want to clean that out. There's a process of transformation. That's what likeness ability is all about. We looked at that verse of Scripture last week where, where Peter t quoted the Old Testament and, and he said, and what did God say? Be holy like I am holy. You, be holy like I am holy. So God calls us to be like him. And what I often do here at Renew is I often talk about the fact that we have been invited into the kingdom, Right? And that's what likeness ability is all about. We have this invitation to step into a kingdom of God-like life. The kingdom of God. Um, we surrender in this likeness ability process in a kingdom of God life. And it's a lifelong journey. Salvation is not just a one-step thing. It is a lifelong journey. So when I, when I step into the kingdom, it's not like Charles, the realm of the British Empire. Here I am, I'm King Charles III, and here's my empire. And you lot down in Australia, you'll do as I tell you, right? Here from the seat of the throne in England. That's not the kind of kingdom we're talking about, right? When, it talk, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule and the reign of God in my life. 
And where do I learn about the rule and the reign of God? What does that look like? Well, then I go back to the scripture. I go back to what Jesus said because Jesus was the perfect representation of who God is. He, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I go back to Jesus to understand what the rule and the reign of God in my life is going to look like. And Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? So we are to step into this likeness ability process. It's not something that just bang happens. We surrender to God. We, we, t- we, we, we accept the invitation into the kingdom of God. And we take on the likeness of Christ because he is the true representation of God in creation. But we get to choose. You're made in the image of God. But when it comes to the likeness, you get to choose. You've got a lot of say. Now, our union with Jesus is an act of faith. So we make a decision to believe, and we confess that decision. We looked at that from Romans 10 last week. We confess that decision, and then what happens is the the Scripture encourages us to go through the baptism, uh, through the waters of baptism, right? And when when you get baptized, what it signifies is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the work of the cross and the resurrection is where Jesus meets us. That's where Jesus meets us. That's where we have our encounter, at the place of mercy, right? At the place of grace. And our salvation is acquired by a simple confession. But it doesn't consist of, I'm going to pray a prayer, and now I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to avoid hell. That's what a lot of people think. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. Got my ticket in the back pocket. That is not what salvation is about. Folk, that is not what salvation is about. No, salvation is a life lived in cooperation with divine grace. That's what it is. It's a life lived. It's a lifelong journey. It's a body and a mind and a heart that is... um, sanctified by the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, which having been born again by water and the Holy Spirit in baptism is going to continue to live forever, surviving death itself to be resurrected. Amen? Can I get an amen? Can you get all Pentecostal on me this morning and say, Amen, preach it, pastor. We don't need the American. Who had the American accent? There we go. The wrong voice again. Okay. (laughs) Craig, (laughs) you're a good guy. I love you. (laughs) You remember last week he was blaming Kirsty for the sin of humanity. Who who was it? I apologize to Americans. (laughs) I thought you guys were Canadian. Carl, I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's even a worse insult, isn't it? Oh, now I've really messed up in the front row. Please come back again next week. Okay. What, what did you say, Craig? Uh, before that. Yeah, you did that last week. That was not, not good. And then you said, amen, pastor. Okay, I'll take that amen. Okay. So, <laughs> this brings me to what I want to talk about today, which is the problem that every single one of us have in this likeness ability relationship with God. And the problem is our mess-up ability, right? That's the new word, our mess-up ability. That's the problem. The problem is sin. I'm sure most of us this morning who have committed to Christ and have surrendered our lives and have said, I'm making a choice to live for Jesus, I'm sure 
for those of us who, who are aware of that, you know, we understand that God came to rescue us through the incarnation, through the cross, through the resurrection. And he, what he did through, through his death and resurrection, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection, was to provide a way for us to avoid the consequences of sin. He made a way to free us from our sin, to free us from the power of sin in our lives. And so I'm no longer a product of my past. No, I'm a product of something that's, that's happening in my life and that's to come, right? I'm, I'm going to become a product of what God is doing in my life, not of my past sinful life separated from God. God has filled me and empowered me with His Spirit, and He invites me to be a participant in the divine nature. In other words, God has invited me to be a participant in who He is. That's the likeness ability. I get this invitation. God says, come and be like me. So I get to participate. God's invited me to participate in His divine nature for all eternity. So let's look again at a, at a passage of Scripture we looked at last week from Peter. Peter says, his, his divine power, right, he's talking about God and, and, and the power of his spirit, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Those couple of verses over there we looked at last week, and they are worth meditating on. They are worth taking and tearing to pieces and getting out your study Bible and saying, what is Peter talking about over here? It's worth the exercise. Maybe you do that in your devotional time. But I want to go on this morning because Peter says, he says, you could get to participate in the divine nature, leaving behind all of those that, that past life. You've got these precious promises and, he, and, and so Peter says, and so for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, right? Because you've taken the step of faith to believe. Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, what are they going to do? They're going to keep you. They're going to stop you from being ineffective and unproductive in your, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to stop you from just like being like that seed that falls on the hard, dry ground that gets plucked away. It's going to stop you from being ineffective and unproductive. And Peter goes on. He says over here, but whoever does not do this is nearsighted, right? Is short-sighted. Peter says, you're blind. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed of your past life. You've been cleansed of those past sins. And so Peter says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Unfortunately, far too often we are forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. And we make little effort to make every effort to support our faith. If you know what I mean. 
Even though we've been freed from the power of sin in our lives, we don't always live our life with a renewed attitude. We don't always live our life with a clarified vision of who we really are and what we're becoming. And so we, we waver in this walk with God. And the walk with God doesn't get stronger and deeper. And it happens because we, we struggle with sin. And when we talk about sin, we're talking about every way we fail to live the life of love for which we were created. Okay, so let's talk about sin. Anybody know what this word is and what it means, where it comes from? Three-letter word, sin. S-I-N. Well, it comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is hamatea. Just say that to the person next to you this morning. Do a bit of Greek this morning. Hamatea. I, I, learned, I went to church this morning. What happened? I learned Greek. Hamatea, right? And hamatea means to miss the mark. That's what it means. Hamatea means to miss the mark. It's actually an archery term, right? You know what a bow and an arrow is? And, and when you put that bow into, into the arrow and you pull it back and you release it, whooshing, the, the, I mean, the arrow in, uh, sorry, I'm getting muddled. The arrow into the bow and you release the arrow and it flies towards the target. The hope is that you're going to hit the target. Hopefully, you'll, you'll hit the, the bull's eye. But if you, in archery, if you pull that arrow back and you release it and it doesn't hit the bull's eye, it doesn't hit the target, then that's a hamatea. You missed. Hamatea, you missed. It's not a legal term. It's not a moral term. It's just a shot that didn't hit the target. And what we've done is we've all shot at the target. And some of us have got a little closer than others, but none of us have hit it. And that just means, <laughs> here I am. Here we are. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, he says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody ever he heard that verse? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we all have these flaws which prevent us from hitting the target, from hitting the mark. There's something in human nature that causes us to mess up. We all have it. And so not only do we have likeness ability, we all have mess up ability. This is what Jesus said when he described sin. This is from Mark chapter 7. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. We have been made for something way better than, than the way we treat other people. We've been made for something way better than the way we treat ourselves. We've been made for something way better than we treat our environment and the planet on which we live. And this is what makes sin so tragic. And so when we say that, that we are sinners, we're acknowledging that there is something wrong in this world. And it's, it's within us. We've been born with a capacity for sin. And it manifests in a sinful nature as a result of the fall that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. We spoke a bit about that last week. That's, that's where the deal happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, and we get that picture. 
of separation from God because of that sin, that rebellion. And so that sinful nature is something that every one of us has the capacity for. So the problem is inside of us. And it's not just some of us, it's all of us. Anybody bring a Bible to church this morning? Yeah, you Isaiah 53 verse 6. Just in a moment, if you can find Isaiah 53 verse 6, we'll read it in a moment. Anybody ever heard of COVID? You're a doctor, Carl. <laughs> it's a virus, isn't it? Am I right, Carl? It's a virus. And, 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 and uh, so anybody familiar with COVID? Okay, all right. You guys have forgotten about it already? Okay, so sin is, sin is like a spiritual virus. And, and like a virus, it spreads, right? It multiplies and it infects. It's not a benign tumor that's settled somewhere in our bodies. No, it's, it's a malignant growth that slowly begins to take over unless it's treated. So, Carl, you'll have to correct me here, but if somebody goes to donate blood, you know, and they go to the blood people, you know, you go and get the blood sucked out and the blood bank, right? Um, when you go and, and you give blood, your blood's got to be pretty much free of viruses and things, isn't it? It's got to be com- ideally, right? Like that's... Uh, not ideally, just can't say completely free. <laughs> so your blood's going to be completely free of those viruses, okay? You, you can't go in there and have a little bit of the virus and say, oh, here's my blood, you know, or like, you know, it's, um, it's just a little bit here, you know, it's mostly free, but, you know, um, no, it's got to be, it, it, it can't have that infection within it. That infectious, infectious virus, if you've got an infectious virus, it can't be in your blood. They can't do anything with that blood. It's, the standard's got to be absolute purity. And for good reason, right? I'd expect if you're my doctor and you start putting blood in me from somebody who's got a virus, I ain't coming back to you. With things we don't know about. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, we're just sitting in the front row. I love you. <laughs> I, t- I tell myself every Sunday, don't pick on anyone. <laughs> sorry, Carl. Okay. So here's a question. If, if, if I've got an infectious virus in my blood and, and, and the folk are going, hey, you know, we, don't, I, we can't really use that blood. It's got an infectious virus in it. How much sin do you think God would allow into heaven? What would be the acceptable level of sin for God to allow into the eternal realm? Great answer. Who is that? <laughs> Ellen, five gold stars. The answer to the question has to be Zero. God's standard for heaven must be sinless perfection. So what God does is God bans sin from heaven, right? He quarantines the infection and the infected to a different realm. Anybody ever heard of, there's a name for that realm? Yeah, hell. Jesus came to save us from sin, but hell is God's quarantine solution for people who prefer to hold on to their own sin rather than accepting the cleansing mercy of Jesus. I'm going to try and explain this in a moment. Okay, Isaiah 53 verse 6. Where's the mark? Did I put it? Here it is. Do you want to read it, Kirsty? We'll just get you switched on and, and, and read it nice and slow and clear for everybody here. Okay, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. Us all. Yeah. Everybody hear that? So what Isaiah did there was he was 
not only talking to Israel, but Isaiah prophesied what Jesus was going to do. On the cross, he would take on the iniquity of humanity, the sin, our sin, right? The sin of everyone. And so what we do is we accept by faith this great act of love by Jesus on our behalf, this grace of God, this mercy towards us through the forgiveness of sins. Because he took on our sins. He, he himself took on our, our wrongdoing, our iniquity, our sin, and we accept that by faith. So I'm going to try, you may have seen this illustration before, but um, what that verse is saying is that we've all gone our own way like sheep. We've, we've gone and done our own thing. And what God has done is sent his son to go to that cross and to take the sin, every one of our sin or every one of our iniquity, and through the work of the cross, he's laid that sin on Jesus. And if we accept that by faith, that means that the power of this sin has been broken in my life. I can have victory over this. And I can have ultimate victory over this because of the work of the cross. Right? You'd agree with me? Yeah? Okay. So now, what happens if somebody comes along and says, Nah, don't believe it. No. Yes, Jesus took on the sin of everyone, but it's a voluntary deal here. God's not going to force you into a relationship with him. So therefore, I'm, I'm saying to God, I don't accept the work of the cross. The cross. I, <laughs> I don't accept what Jesus has done. So therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get stuck with this. This is, this is going to be my deal to work out. That's ultimately what's going to happen. I, I'm going to have to work out the sin issue. If I, don't ex if I don't accept the work of the cross, that means that I'm going to have to deal with the problem. If I choose not to accept the saving work of Jesus, if I choose not to be un uh, united with him in a covenant relationship, well, then what I'm going to be like is those sheep who've gone their own way. I'm going to go astray, go my own way. And God loves us so much. When you read the Bible and you read the New Testament, you find a God who repeatedly says, I need to tell you. I need to warn you. Jesus actually spoke about it in Luke and in Matthew. And he, he said, that is the road of woe. Woe, woe. It's not woe, dude. It's woe. That's the road of woe. That's the path to destruction. That's the path to pain. That's, that, that is a path that you don't want to go down. That's a road you don't want to go down, right? If you go down that road, it's going to ultimately lead to separation from God. Don't go down that road. But that's what's going to happen if I choose not to accept what Jesus has done. A lot of people, you know, when they think of God, they think of God as an angry old man sitting up in heaven. They think of God sitting on a big chair with a big stick and a long white beard, longer than Pete's. And they think of him as an angry God, right, who can't wait to send anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus to hell. Eternal damnation away with you, right? That's the picture that many, many people have of God. And it's wrong. It's so, so wrong. It's the wrong picture of God because God is love. He is love. He loves us. He loves creation. God is not angry with any one of us. God is not angry with you. He's not out to get you. He's not out to punish you. This is the God of love. But what God wants us to understand is that the punishment is bound up in the sin. 
We're on our way to summer again. Thank the Lord. It's my favorite season. I'm not a big fan of winter. Um, I didn't hear that. Amen. Oh, thank you, sister. Amen. You, uh, one person's with me today. <laughs> I love summer. But, but you know, uh, and, and actually I was in my garden yesterday afternoon and I've got a little vegetable patch at the back there and I like to plant a little couple of tomatoes and some zucchini, you know, and I love to see it grow. And then, you know, there's nothing better that for me than taking a zucchini that I'll pay $3 for at Woolworths and chop it up and say, I've saved $3 and this zucchini tastes so great. You know, I, I love... Um, I love watching the stuff grow, and I've got a grapevine, and I love to see the little, you know, even yesterday I was noticed the little leaves are starting to shoot through, and soon it won't be long, and I'll get the little berries on, on the, the um, and then the, that's going to mature into a beautiful bunch of grapes. I, I, I love it. But last season, we would sit down for dinner, and, and um, our veggie patch, you can see it from where we sit down to eat dinner. And... Uh, and sitting there, and, and, and um, I sit on the side that faces, you know, we're such creatures of habit. Everybody's got their own chair around our table, right? So, so I'm sitting with my back to the window. Adam's next to me and Jude and Debbie on the other side. And Debbie and Jude are like, what's that? What's that? And, and, and um, there was something moving. As the sun was setting, we were eating something moving on top of the fence. What's that? And it was mice. As the sun was going down, these mice, down to my veggie patch. I had to do something. Now, imagine I put out a couple of mouse traps in the veggie patch. I didn't do that. I was harsher. But imagine I put out some mouse traps in, in, in the veggie patch, and being a pastor, some people come over, you know, and maybe they've got little children. They come to visit and being a good pastor, I'd probably say to those children, I'd say, you're welcome to play in the backyard, but don't go near the traps. Right? Don't touch them. They, they, could hear, they could hurt you. Right? So don't go near them. <laughs> It'll bite you. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's going to hurt you. Don't touch it. And little children, because it's in us, what are they going to do? They're going to test, aren't they? They're going to test. They're going to go and test that. And when they do, and the trap goes bang, and the child starts screaming in pain because their fingers got caught in that, in that trap, is, are they screaming in pain because I came along and went bang, naughty girl, naughty boy, hit them on the hand? No, no. The pain comes from the trap, right? The, the bang is in the trap. It's inbuilt. And so I, I don't think I'm being a bad pastor if I warn the child and say, don't, don't touch that. It's going to hurt you. I'm, I'm not being bad. I'm not being, I'm not being a mean person. Out of love, what I'm doing is I'm giving them advice. I'm giving them a warning. I'm saying, don't touch that. Don't do that. But when they do and their finger gets into that trap, well, the pain is inbuilt into the trap. Ah! Mommy! God is on our side. We were created for relationship with Him. And, and, and it is a, re a love relationship with Him that allows us to become like Him, to have that likeness ability to become like Him as we walk with Him. But the pain that we get in life is because we keep sticking our finger into traps. And the fact that we're going to die is, is because of that trap that got unleashed way back in Genesis, this death that got unleashed into the human race. Are you all with me? 
where I live, there's a new traffic intersection. Well, they've done so. It's probably been about a year old now, that intersection. If you come off of Ocean Reef and then you merge onto uh, Wanneroo Road, it's quite a long intersection, but right at the top, it's quite a, some of you have probably driven it, it's quite a sharp bend as you go around to merge onto, onto Wanneroo. And I've noticed that at the top of that off-ramp, as you get onto that bend, are quite a few skid marks, tire marks on the, on the road, where people have obviously been going too fast and they've locked up around that bend. And in fact, if you look carefully next time you go around there, have a look at the barrier, because there's a, quite a few scuff marks where people have actually hit that barrier with, with their, their motor vehicles. And um, there's a speed limit sign there, but it's just not being believed by some drivers. Yeah? So they get to the top of that, bend, that, that off-ramp and they, just, they lock up on the braking to try and avoid hitting the barrier. Now, I've never, ever seen a traffic officer sitting there on a chair waiting to find somebody who hits the barrier. Never. What are you doing? Oh, I'm waiting for the person to hit the barrier so I can give them a fine. I've never seen it. Why? Because the damage is inbuilt, isn't it? It's inbuilt into that barrier on that curve. You smash your car up on that barrier, that's the pain, right? The pain is inbuilt in the barrier. You've got to believe the speed limit sign. So life has got its curves. Life has got its traps. And God is on our side, and God's saying, you know, this walk with me has some, some, some limits. Some, there's, there's, there's a barrier on each side, and I don't want you to get out of this, because if you go there, that's the badlands. Right? And, and what God does is he says, very often God will go, the Holy Spirit will whisper and say, that's not a good thing. Don't do that. If you do that, you could get hurt. If you go down that path, it could cause you pain. It could land up killing you. Don't do it. And this is what God wants us to understand about our sin. If we don't accept the saving grace of Jesus and live a life where he allows his grace and his mercy to deal with the sin problem as we are transformed into people who begin to look like Jesus, then we will deal with the ultimate inbuilt consequence of sin, which ultimately is separation from God. The punishment is bound up in the sin. And it is a state of separation from God. And Jesus, if you read the New Testament, describes the separation as weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Like gritting your teeth together in Luke 13 and Matthew 13. And that picture of weeping and gnashing of teeth is a picture of anguish. It's a picture of despair. And it's brought on by regret, intense regret. If only I'd paid attention. If only I'd listened. If only I'd believed. When that person spoke to me about Christ, if only I'd asked a little bit more, if only I'd accepted him, if only I'd opened up my life to him, if only I'd allowed the work of the Holy Spirit to refine me on the inside and learn to grow in the knowledge of who God is, the love of the Father, if only. And the thing is, is that there is no coming back from that state of regret and separation after this life ends. And Jesus illustrates that in a parable in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man and a poor man whose name was Lazarus. And that rich man landed up going 
to a place of separation. And when you read the story, you find that this rich man is in a place of torment. He just he asks, the picture is like for a bit of water. And, and it says you can't have that. And then um, he, he, has this, he expresses this regret because he says, can I, just, can I just warn my brothers? Can I just warn them? No, you can't come back. It's a picture of an intense regret. So the question is, can we change it? Is, is there a way to escape that condition? And, and, and Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. I love these words of Paul. He says, I'm such a wretched guy, wretched man that I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And then immediately he switches to the good news, the gospel of salvation. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are in Christ Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ provided the answer to a humanity who are trapped in mess-upability. And it did it this way, right? The fall of man brought about the consequence of, that God has warned us about. What did God say to Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, don't eat of that fruit. Don't touch that. Don't eat of that because if you do, you are going to die. And as a result of that, all of us have, have inherited mortality. Every one of us in this room this morning is going to come to a time where we die. That's the human condition. That's the that's the state we find ourselves in. We, we, we face it. We live with it. Our own mortality. You see, the consequence of what Adam did, the consequence of that disobedience, the consequence of the fall was separation. Death separates us. God is deathless. He is immortal. We are mortal. He, he, we are finite. He's infinite. And so death is something that separates us. We are separated by sin. Our, our mess-up ability, our missing the mark, our sin separates us from God. And God is without sin. Our nature is separated from God. The sinful nature removes us from that closeness of relationship. We haven't achieved much of the likeness of God in our lives. That is the consequence of what Adam did. And the barrier was broken by Jesus. It was broken. The purpose of the first Adam was to be like God, but he, didn't, he couldn't do it. And so it was fulfilled by the second Adam, Jesus. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go and read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul outlines it there. By Jesus breaking the tyranny of sin and the tyranny of death on the cross, and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And you know, it's the oldest question that's ever been asked. And the question has to do with the issue of death. How many people in their life come to a place where they go, I wonder if there's something more? Is there something more? Is there anything after this life? Is there, is there life after death? Is there such a thing as eternal life? And the answer is yes. Yes, there is. For anyone who chooses. Those who choose, 
those who choose Jesus, those who choose to have this relationship with God can now begin to walk with God in the cool of the evening like Adam and Eve. And I really am trying to underline this point today. Salvation is not a one-time deal. Salvation is ongoing. Salvation is a lifetime deal. It's getting to know God. Some of the most sobering words, in my opinion, from Jesus are in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says that he's going to say to some, I never knew you. Those are sobering words to me. I never knew you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to go into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. Not everyone. I never knew you. And that's why getting to know God is so, so, so important. That's why being part of a community of faith, a church, is so important because that's where we learn to grow. It's, it's under, we, we come to understand what a relationship with God looks like. We begin to open up our lives to that. We take this walk with God. We take this relationship with God seriously. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is he saying? He's saying, take this walk with God seriously. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have that union with God, that we can have that relationship to become like Him. The Holy Spirit works in us, in our nature, to produce the likeness of God, that Christ-likeness that we so often speak of. The more you walk with Him, the more you'll get to know Him. And little by little, the more you'll change. And when it comes to sin, something that we're all infected by, that mess-up ability that we have, right? Paul says, the good, the good that I want to do, I don't land up doing, and the bad stuff I want to avoid, I land up getting involved with, right? And Paul was just being completely honest when he said that. That's just the human condition. That's who we are. We have mess-up ability. The only way for me to get rid of sin ultimately in my life is to die. The only way to kill sin is to die. The only way that the mess-up ability that I've got in my life is ever going to be gone is when I die. Jesus went to that cross to eliminate sin. It wasn't the sin in his life. He was without sin. But what he was doing, part of what he was doing, is he was showing us that it takes death to eliminate sin. Death comes because of sin, and it's the only way that eliminates sin. But is that all there is? Is death forever? O death, where is your boundary? O death, where is your sting? Where is, where is your victory? Death has been defeated. And the crucifixion shows us that sin dies. The resurrection shows us that death is defeated. It's the resurrection of Jesus that shows us that death itself has a boundary. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians yeah, he said, for as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. We who have passed from death pass into life. He who is absent from the body is present with the Lord. It's instantaneous. If we are in Christ, we pass from death into life. Death is not the end. Yes, I am going to die, and that is actually a good thing for me, but I'm not in any hurry to get there, right? But when it does come, 
I know that I'll never ever have to worry about mess up ability ever again. And thanks be to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because I don't have to worry about death either. There's victory on the other side. And I know that this is hard for some people to understand because you read in the Bible, you say, well, I'm supposed, death is supposed to be done with and I'm supposed to have life. And, and if Jesus died and defeated death and the resurrection and stuff, well, how come do I still have to go through death? You have to go through death because it gets rid of your sin. Just like that virus cannot be in the blood and pass to another, so too the sin has to be removed. God is without sin. Death gets rid of my sin. And Jesus tells us that if you're in him, you don't have to worry about death. And it's not that God's sitting up there, you know, angry. Uh, who can I punish today? I'm going to punish you by making you die. That's not, that's not God. God is a good God. God loves us. He created us out of love. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and he became one of us out of love. He went to that cross out of love. He didn't just come out of that tomb so that he could leave. He rolled away that stone. And like we saw with Mary last week, we can look in and we can see that he's not there. Death could not hold him. And that is my hope. And I want to tell you this morning, it is a sure hope. So I don't know where you are at in your walk with God. And I don't know what the condition or the state of your life is right now. But I want to urge every one of you. And I want to urge you when it comes to your family and to your friends and your colleagues. Pray. Seek God. But live for God. Salvation is not just a one-time prayer deal. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to avoid hell. No, salvation is an ongoing deal. Salvation is the walk with God. It's the likeness ability as I grow in God. So when I commit to Christ, I'm, I'm opening the door and I'm stepping over the threshold. I don't open the door and stand over here and don't go and embark on the journey. That's not salvation. Salvation is opening that door, stepping over the threshold, and beginning to walk with God in the cool of the evening. I gave you that rule of life on the bookmark last week. We've given you the rule of life over there. It's all to help you and help me have a devotional life in God so that I can learn to know who He is. I can un understand His love for me, understand His plan for me, His purpose for me. Being part of this church and in, with my family and the life that I live. Getting to know who he is. And so I want to end this morning with three questions. The first is, are you saved? Do you believe in Jesus and have you been baptized? My second question is, are you being saved? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit and following Jesus? Are you walking with God in relationship? Do you know what that should look like? Do you know him? Does he know you? And my third question is, will you be saved? Are you expectant? Are you ready to meet the risen Lord? This is good news. This is good news. For those who make this decision and stand by it, this is good news. Amen.